Chapter 7, Developing a Personal Relationship with Jesus Christ, Our Individual Redeemer. And again I say unto you, my friends, for from henceforth I shall call you friends, it is expedient that I give unto you this commandment, that ye may become even as my friends in days when I was with them, traveling to preach the gospel in my power. Doctrine and Covenants 84, 77. Thanks be to God that we have access to a number of inspired books that address the fact that the Holy Atonement is an infinite one, meaning that it is without end, and that the very foundational setting in the premortal council in heaven provided unbarred access to the glories of salvation and spiritual progression to everyone throughout it. When we expand the depth of the understanding of our minds to better comprehend the pathway that leads us from where we are today through the veil and into the presence of the Father, we come to realize who we really are, and a portion of our divinely appointed mission is to realize this now in the flesh and not in some futuristic ethereal realm. Remember that our end-time roles are an unfolding of our sacred foreordinations, the current day claiming of our godly birthright. Procrastination is not worthy of us. To share an experience, 1976 marked my freshman year at BYU in Provo, Utah. I was soon to personally meet one of my greatest heroines of all time. No, heroines. Heroes of all time. George W. Pace, who was a religion professor at the university. Because he was so entertaining and because he was such an expert in at making the scriptures come to life, it was difficult to even get registered for one of his religion classes. In 1975, just prior to my arrival as a transfer student from Ricks College in Idaho, George W. Pace was the primary speaker at that week's devotional, which is always held in the huge Marriott Center on the BYU campus. The title of his address that summer day was Developing a Personal Relationship with the Savior. He began the expression of his testimony by referring to an earlier stirring sermon given by David O. McKay on the bread of life. Said Brother Pace, how I hoped with all my heart that somehow the Savior might become my bread of life, that somehow I might be able to partake of his divine nature, that somehow I might be able to take advantage of my membership in the church and ultimately put on the nature of Christ and become like him. In fact, over the years, of all the ideas and all the concepts I have been exposed to, none has touched my heart, none has stirred me with such great determination to try to do the things that I felt the Lord would have me do, as much as those ideas that pertain directly to the living reality of the Savior. Within two minutes, he offered a sublime quote from Brigham Young that said, The greatest and most important of all requirements of our Father in heaven and of his Son Jesus Christ is to believe in Jesus Christ, confess him, See to him, cling to him, make friends with him. Take a course to make and keep open communication with your elder brother or file leader, our Savior. I made a mental note. Was I be being taught to develop a friendship with Jesus, to cling to him, and even to see him? Yes, I was, and I was to do it while in the flesh. In succession, Elder Pace quoted the great Apostle Paul who, in his estimation, was probably the mightiest missionary that the world has ever seen. Said the greatest apostle, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Footnote 17 is 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. An earlier one from Brigham Young was in Journal of Discourses 8, uh, 339. Later, he related a story about a letter that the lonely prophet Joseph Smith 
had written to his wife Emma while away on one of his many missions for the Lord. He wrote, My situation is a very unpleasant one, although I will endeavor to be con contented, the Lord assisting me. I have called to mind all the past moments of my life, and am left to mourn and shed tears of sorrow for my folly and suffering that adversary of my soul to have so much power over me as he has had in times past. But God is merciful and has forgiven my sins, and I rejoice that he sendeth forth the Comforter unto as many as believe and humble themselves before him. I was grieved that Hiram had lost his little child. I will try to be contented with my lot, knowing that God is my friend. In him I shall find comfort. I have given my life into his hands. I am prepared to go at his call. I desire to be with Christ. I count not my life dear to me, only to do his will. That is found in uh, the 6th of June, 1832, Chicago Historical Society. He ended with an impactful sermon, with a quote from Nephi, and with his own solemn testimony. The Savior said, Therefore, hold up your light, so that it may shine to the world. Behold, I am the light which ye shall hold up. That's Third Nephi, 18.24. May we do that with his might and power. May the Lord bless you, that you might grow and increase in the knowledge and stature of him, after whom this church is named, and through whom we can have the power ultimately to become sanctified and perfected. So the uh, footnote on that is George W. Pace, Devotional Address, 15th of July, 1975, Assistant Professor of Religion, BYU Provo. To better illustrate the concept of developing an individual relationship with the Lord and Savior, I will present what I call the one-on-one, -on -one, or one-by-one -one scripture. It is comprised of almost an entirety of chapter 17 of 3 Nephi. With emphasis added, the following are a few excerpts that are applicable. Therefore, go ye unto your homes and ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask of the Father in my name, that ye may understand and prepare your minds for the morrow, and I come unto you again. And he said unto them, Behold, my bowels are filled with compassion toward you. And it came to pass that when he had thus spoke, all the multitude with one accord did go forth with their sick and afflicted and their lame, and with their blind and with their dumb, and with all of them that were afflicted in any manner, and he did heal them every one, as they were brought forth unto them. And they did all, both they who had been healed and they who were whole, bowed down at his feet and did worship him. And as many as could come for, as could come for, forth from, the multitude did kiss his feet, insomuch that they did bathe his feet with their tears. And after this manner they did bear record. The eye hath never seen, neither hath the ear heard before, so great and marvelous things, as we saw and heard Jesus speak unto the Father. And no tongue can speak, neither can there be written by any man, neither can the hearts of men conceive so great and marvelous things, as we both saw and heard Jesus speak. And no one can conceive of the joy which filled our souls at the time we heard him pray unto, uh, pray for us unto the Father. And it came to pass that when Jesus had made an end of praying unto the Father, he arose, but so great was the joy of the multitude that they were overcome. And it came to pass that Jesus spake unto them and bade them arise. And they arose from the earth, and he said unto them, Blessed are ye because of your faith, and now behold, my joy is full. And when he had said these words, he wept, and the multitude bare record of it. And he took their little children one by one and blessed them. And when he had done this, he wept again. 
and he spake unto the multitude, and said unto them, Behold your little ones. And as they looked to behold, they cast their eyes towards heaven, and they saw the heavens open, and they saw angels descending out of heaven, as if it were in the midst of fire. And they came down and encircled those little ones about, and they were encircled about with fire, and the angels did minister unto them. And the multitude did see and hear and bear record, and they know that their record is true, for they all of them did see and hear, every man for himself. And they were in number about two thousand and five hundred souls, and they did consist of men, women, and children. It is almost impossible not to cry when prayerfully pondering all of the messages conveyed in the third Nephi chapter 17. In the mind's eye, it is very realistic to perceive many of the people there being granted the opportunity to thrust their hands into his side and feel the prince in his hands, wrists, and feet. There is something that is so incomprehensibly significant about the imprinting on the mind and the elements of one's soul to actually feel the marks that represent both the crucifixion and the holy atonement that makes this event of interacting with the Lord both personally sacred and entirely unforgettable. Much of what happened was so sacred that they were not capable of expressing it, and both Jesus and the multitude wept in joy more than once. In verse 20, the Lord says, And now behold, my joy is full. Surely those 2,500 souls were also not able to physically contain their joy as they wept uncontrollably, which is why they fell to their knees. With that kind of encompassing love filling your body, it cannot hold itself up as humility takes over, and you suddenly understand with every fiber of your being exactly the kind of greatness which stands before you. I often wonder, did the Savior take 10 or 15 minutes with many of those individuals? How long did it take him to literally lay hands upon each and every child and bless them one by one? If the Lord of hosts took only a mere five minutes with each of these 2,500 special souls, it would have taken over 208 hours to accomplish the act of blessing each one of them. But knowing how our Savior loves us, he may have, in fact, taken much longer, granting each one of them an indelibly etched personal cry for them unto the Father. This means that the process would have allowed him to spend two weeks or even more with these, his other sheep. A sermon in that group event, while some blessings and all second comforter experiences are very personal and individual events, when the prophets and holy scriptures teach us that no man cometh unto the Father except through Jesus Christ, this is not a fictional concept. He is the only way whereby we can return to the Father. When we stand at the veil and knock for the purpose of entering back into the presence of the Father, this will not be done in a group setting. When our second estate contracts and ordinances come into effect, it is at that time that they will be ratified by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is Jesus Christ as he functions in his non-collective calling of securing the Lord's promises to those who have been foreordained to receive them. When we are at last conducted into the presence of the Holy One of Israel, while yet in the flesh, it will be done according to the patterns established of old, guided by an angel or a personal sentinel. We will delve deeper into the this later in the book. To establish a personal loving connection and assuage all fears and potential trepidations, he reaches out to us with arms wide open and calls each of us by our first name, which is our familiar name. At this moment, he is beckoning us to draw near unto him with a softer, more loving, and more penetrating voice than we are now able to comprehend. In his infinite wisdom, he is aware of which of us, his adopted children, would most benefit personally from the privilege of feeling the wounds in his crucified body with the receptive tips of our own fingers. Perhaps the reason that many of us will collapse and fall at his feet at this point in time is because at a profound, deep, and personal level, 
we will be captured within a spiritual witness directly from him of the remission of our own sins, which is a godly emancipation, personal liberation, a joy alleviating exultation, which can not be expressed in any form of celestial wordsmithing. Ever afterwards, our soul will begin to fly literally, and will discover that the finest form of expressing our personal gratitude is by singing, and we will begin to sing sacred angelic texts and tunes of praise, as they are given to us as a directly transmitted download from the Spirit. While we contemplate the eternal wonders of personal and individual interactions with our most esteemed and beloved eldest brother, we will in no way dismiss the university of the overarching plan of salvation, above which some things have yet to be revealed to us in this particular phase of our spiritual advancement. His gifts apply to everyone without exception, as they are either accepted or rejected by each child individually. According to the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith, all of the ancient various doctrines of the gospel of Jesus Christ are mere appendages to the Holy Atonement. However, let us be equally mindful of the few exceptions in the pathway to exaltation that involve personal and individual contact with the one with yeah with the one with many names, one of which is the Holy One of Israel. An example of this direct connection is having second comforter experiences while still in the terrestrial realm. Those among us today that have been blessed with multiple interactions with our Savior could fill hundreds of pages thick volumes of marvelous material without even sharing more than 5% of what they saw, felt, heard, and learned with their own senses. Naturally, much of which, what they experienced is far too sacred to share with us in the books that have been written. Likewise, much of what they have learned while at his feet is more than the basics that we are in need of at this point in our progression. Another example of a personal and individual second comforter experience is receiving of one's calling and election made sure, which is accomplished through the more sure word of prophecy. A calling and election made sure is not something that is delegated by the Lord to someone else through the keys of the priesthood, and it is certainly not a group event. A calling and election made sure is a premortal foreordination event, a special personal endowment which is contractually set forth for us to receive at some point in our mortal ministry, but that will only happen after we have developed a personal and individual relationship with Jesus Christ. The stepping stones of how to do this are revealed to those of us with what I call the resonance, which is the deep natural yearning of our hearts to seek after this while yet in the flesh. All right, and then on page 76, there is a big chart. Um, I will put it up on Learning Zion, but it, from first glance, looks a lot like the four upper levels of Isaiah's ladder. Um, they're talking about um, progressing from the Zion, or Jacob Israel level, up to the Zion Jerusalem level, up to the sun servant level, up to the seraphim level. Um, it kind of looks like. I could be wrong. I haven't read and, and dove into it. Um, but anyway, I will post that up on Learning Zion. It is a, a big chart, lots of words. I'm not going to uh, resume it here. <laughs>